It didn't have to be this way. I could have used that phrase many, many times over the course of this pandemic, but this time, it's literally true. When it comes to COVID-19, some things are out of our hands. This virus changes, we learn about it as we go, and there's a lot we can't control. But the technology that we use to fight it, the technology we use to track cases and symptoms and hotspots and vaccine shipments and vaccines administered and side effects and all of that, that's up to us. And not only was it within Canada's power to build out a best-in-the-world system of health data management, we even had the blueprints for how to do it. That is not a metaphor there. We actually had the blueprints two decades ago. So remember that the next time your doctor's office has to fax something to a pharmacy. Or remember it when you do eventually get your vaccine and the nurse that's giving it to you writes down your information on a sheet with a pen by hand over and over again. It really didn't have to be this way. But it is. So today we'll talk about why. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Justin Ling is a freelance writer based in Montreal who reports for, among other places, Vice, The Globe and Mail, and for this piece, McLean's. Hey, Justin. Hey, Jordan. Why don't you start with... Um, What's going to make every Canadian listening to you jealous and, and tell us how Israel got so many vaccines and why? Right. So going back you know, at the start of the vaccine conversation, really last summer or thereabouts, when a bunch of countries were going around to various vaccine manufacturers and trying to figure out um, you know, how much they're going to pay per dose, when those doses are going to arrive, which companies they're going to go with, so on and so forth, Israel did something very, very clever. And it's something that Israel has sort of been gearing up towards for a long time. They went to Pfizer for the most part, but also Moderna and some others and said, listen, we're going to pay you a really good price for these vaccines, and we want them fast, and we want them in large quantities. And here's our proposition to you. We'll collect all the data you need, all the data on efficacy, on adverse reactions, on you know how long uh, this immunity might last for, on how quick it might come about, uh, whether one shot is better than two shots, whether there's some people who shouldn't get it, whether there's some people who should get one dose and not the other. Israel basically said, we can collect that data and we can give it to you. And that for a drug company, especially in the midst of all of this, is extraordinarily valuable. While we should not really be concerned at all about the safety of these vaccines, it is accurate to say that this entire process was truncated to a large degree. We went through mm -hmm. the clinical trials of these vaccines much faster than we would have in a normal circumstance. So Israel's offer here was just sort of to augment and sort of finish up and provide a really long look um, about the data of these vaccines and sort of a real-life clinical trial. And that, to these drug companies, was worth more than money. 
And they were able to do all of this because they have one of the world's best information health systems. They have a national vaccination registry and a national e-health system that really is probably unparalleled in the world. It is centralized. It is granular. It is um, very information heavy. And they basically managed to get themselves to the front of the line because they have this at their disposal. I'm assuming that means we don't here in Canada. It's hard to to put into words just how bad our system is in comparison. It's it's like comparing a brand new MacBook to an old IBM ThinkPad from like 95. Actually, it's not totally even fair to the ThinkPad, which is a great laptop. <laughs> um, it is like comparing an iPhone to a Motorola Razor. Like our system is dumb. We have a dumb system, and I mean that in a thousand different ways. Why is it so dumb? I mean, we're a developed nation. We have money. This is not, you know, should not be uh, You're right. outside of our reach. The reality is, in some respects, parts of our system is not so bad, but it's not a national system. Every single province and territory in this country has their own IT systems to run their healthcare system as as it is which is you know it shouldn't shock anybody we are a federated country right you know our our you know provincial health system sort of operate in silos and normally that's fine normally that's something we want we like the fact generally speaking that Ontario gets to pick what sort of you know procedures and surgeries it covers, where Alberta gets to you know set another list of things it wants to pay for or doesn't want to pay for, and how it wants to pay for it. You know, this is kind of core to the Canadian identity. You know, our healthcare system is is a sort of a la carte menu that each province can sort of um, you know, pick and choose from. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is that we have always said that we want to make sure at least some of the public health infrastructure is a shared responsibility, right? This is the entire reason we created the Public Health Agency of Canada. This is the entire reason the federal government was supposed to take over some aspects of this of of, of this responsibility. Mm-hmm. And this goes back some two decades to a time when a lot of these computer systems were were kind of affordable and feasible for the first time. If you go back to 1998, there was a really, actually, really fantastic report that was written that basically recommended Canada set up a national vaccination database, you know, one that would be state of the art, one that would have let, you know, everyone from a warehouse operator to a, a public health nurse scan a barcode on the side of a vaccine vial so that they can automatically populate a database about that vaccine to stop, you know, to avoid having everybody kind of manually enter all of these, um, you know, long strings of numbers and digits. Right. Things like that. Things like actually capturing, you know, what sort of vaccine someone has received over the course of their life. Right. And this is a tremendously helpful in normal times. People want to know if they've received their full hep, you know, B and C shots. They want to know if they've received the shots for mumps. They want to know if they had the shingles vaccine and which one, whether they need a booster and when they may need it. Right. Right. You know, this this was supposed to be a system that tracked that sort of information. And really critically, 
it was supposed to have been a system that would have let public health officials in Ottawa look out across the country and say, oh, no, we're seeing a really worrying rise of, you know, viral disease A in Nova Scotia or oh no, we're just seeing a huge gap in vaccinations in, let's say, rural Alberta. You know, it should have been this huge sort of Bible of information for public health officials to make recommendations, to adopt strategies, to head you know, outbreaks off at the pass. Um, but I think as you know, I've already... <laughs> As you've already intoned to, we don't we don't have that. We, this does not exist. This report in 1998 largely hasn't come to fruition. What happened um, in those critical years following the report? Was the report like? Did it just get shelved? Did we start down this path and veer off? Were there efforts made? Like obviously, it didn't end up happening. But where did it go off the rails? So what's really depressing about it is that the report was taken very seriously. There actually was a tremendous effort to put that report into into action, to actually get it on its legs, to build that national vaccine database. You know, they, there was even conversations about actually making sure those barcodes were on every vial and every shipment, and that Canada could scan them. And actually, what's really again very frustrating about all of this is that in the years after that report was was submitted, and after the government started some basic work getting together what that public health infrastructure would look like. SARS hit. Right. Right. So in 2003, we face the actual consequences of still being stuck in the dark ages. And there was a, again, and I, you know, I, I, you're going to hear me mention a bunch of reports in this interview. And, and, and I realize it sounds like these reports are just piling up and by and large, they have. But in 2003, after the outbreak, there was this report written that basically said the Ontario government ha- was relying on information technology systems that date back to charitably the 80s, hmm. right? And it basically said we're trying to operate in a digital world using analog infrastructure, more or less. And the report basically said it's time that Canada get its act together. That, of course, was the report that recommended the creation of the Public Health Agency of Canada. That is where we first started down this road of saying the federal government has a responsibility to manage public health nationally. And out of that was this idea that the public health agency should be running some of that infrastructure, that it should be the desk at which you know this system sort of rests and the idea was the Public Health Agency of Canada was going to spearhead this new IT system. It was going to work with all the provinces and territories and Indigenous Services Canada and Veterans Affairs Canada and bring them all together to build out this national vaccine registry, to make sure there is this analytics capability that we, where we can actually see where outbreaks are happening, and to make sure that we're, we have really efficient supply chains so that if we had to get a bunch of vaccines into the country quickly, we could do it without too much headache. And this was a really good idea. Like you know, th- This is the sort of thing that you look back on now and you think to yourself, my God, if only we had done this properly. But unfortunately, for a bunch of reasons, it didn't happen. 
And you can point your fingers to a bunch of different reasons why. You know, the part of it is that the provinces all wanted different things that were unreasonable and frankly unnecessary. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a whole bunch, like like with most procurement projects, a bunch of provinces said, well, we want this bell and whistle. And another province said, well, we don't want to pay for that. And there was sort of a log, you know, a log jam right there of a bunch of different politicians butting their heads together. On top of that, the company that the federal government picked to build out this project was IBM Canada. Now, uh, there's some good things you can say about how IBM handled this, but there's a lot of bad things you can say about it as well. Suffice it to say, things went off the rails pretty quickly. It got a lot more expensive than originally budgeted. It was wildly delayed, and a whole bunch of aspects of that system just were never going to be fully finished. And it became pretty clear to a bunch of different people across the country that this procurement project had had sort of you know fallen before it even got out of the gate. And as such, Alberta basically pulled the plug and said, we're going to stick with our old system. Have fun, everybody. And Great. almost bizarrely, so did the Public Health Agency of Canada. You know, the agency that was supposed to be tasked with building this system and running it and being the sort of focal point for it just sort of threw its hands up in the air after spending, by the way, somewhere in the ballpark of $150 million, sort of threw its hands up in the air and said, well, we're done. So it left most of the provinces to sort of sort it out amongst themselves. And what happened was a basically a total sort of breaking apart of what was supposed to be a national system. By the time it was sort of fully online by the early 2010s, BC's version of this system looked way different than Saskatchewan's version of this system, looked way different than Ontario's, looked way different than Nova Scotia's. The system is called Panorama, and a bunch of different provinces can't even call it the same thing anymore. They've changed the name so many times. So the end result was an of an attempt to centralize our vaccination technology was a system that was even more fragmented and and siloed than before and this is why uh when my daughter was born in 2017 I still got just the old school yellow vaccination passport <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly why yeah it's exactly why you know we were supposed to have a system where you know, when when your daughter gets vaccinated, you have a record in a provincial system that you can access quite easily, that any doctor could access, that you could potentially install an app on your phone and read whenever you want to. This was the dream of this project. And it went so far off the rails that it, it, it's it's really heartbreaking to look back and see all the points at which we could have salvaged this and just didn't. I'm Laura Palmer, host of Island Crime. Season six, Sweethearts, is the story of three teenage girls who were all murdered in Victoria, Canada within about 12 months. So she was scared, something out there scared her. You've just created the playground where predators can really thrive. She was a 16 year old girl. She was a sweetheart. Listen to Sweethearts at FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com or wherever you get podcasts. Find your frequency. So what happened in the first few months of the pandemic? Obviously, there was suddenly an urgent need for this thing we'd been planning to build for a long time. Was there any effort made to to wrangle it together, to make improvements on it, to get stuff back uh, in line with where it should be? Yeah, so something really interesting happened. And it's something I didn't even totally appreciate until I started talking to some people for the story. And it's that 
seemingly by coincidence, several provinces made a concerted effort in the past few years to upgrade their their system of, of panorama. And the end result was that as of early this year, a handful of provinces had this sort of up-to-date, newly sort of renovated computer computer system for public health. And Nova Scotia is, is probably the prime example. They made sure that it was updated, that it was you know running the most recent version. And by and large, Nova Scotia appears to have benefited enormously from that. What I'm told is that IBM Canada made a concerted effort in the past few years to improve Panorama and to finally install all of the pieces that they were supposed to put there in the first place and never did. The problem is that a bunch of provinces had retrofitted and customized mm. and updated their own technology to the point where they couldn't do it or they refused to do it, maybe more accurately. So when we got into the pandemic, you actually saw some provinces that that seemingly for the first time in 15 years appreciated the system that had been a long time in the making. But you also saw a bunch of provinces trying to labor under this increasingly archaic and sort of Rube Goldberg-esque technology system that just hobbled them right out of the gate. So Ontario, for example, Ontario's version of Panorama doesn't really work outside of a handful of hospitals or the provincial health ministry. Okay. So what do you mean by doesn't really work? You needed to have it pre-installed, suffice it to say. So early in the pandemic, if you were sitting around a table and thinking to yourself, well, we've got to get vaccines at some point. And when we do, we'll probably have to administer them in pop-up sites or pharmacies. Well, you were kind of faced with the fact that Panorama wouldn't work in a pharmacy. You couldn't open it up. You couldn't run it in a pharmacy unless you, it basically was not feasible. So what they started to do was develop a whole new piece of technology that sort of served as a dashboard for Panorama that they eventually did roll out and is now sort of working. It's called COVAX On. And I tell you this basically because this, I think, epitomizes exactly what we're going through. Each province is trying to figure out how to make their sort of archaic and broken infrastructure work for them. And mm. there's really been no cooperation amongst the provinces. Nova Scotia is having a good time with their updated version of Panorama. Ontario is trying desperately to make their old version work. British Columbia, by the way, doesn't even run one system. The Vancouver Health Authority runs a different computer system than the rest of the province. The rest of the province runs Panorama. Vancouver runs its own thing. Saskatchewan still has an updated core pieces of Panorama, which leaves them you know, roughly trying to struggle through 2007 vintage technology. Alberta, by the way, which decided never to adopt Panorama, actually made its its older system work pretty well. It kept upgrading it and, and fixing it and improving it and is doing relatively well through this pandemic. But what I'm trying to get across here is that none of these provinces were working with each other and the federal government wasn't here to help at all, yeah. as best I can tell. Everybody was sort of struggling in obscurity alone by themselves and trying desperately to make it all work. And I can tell you that there should have been more attention paid to this. And I'll, I'll give you maybe one of the most frustrating pieces of this. And it's it's the, the function of adverse reaction reporting. Mm -hmm. Now, 
I do have to underscore, you know, the vaccines we're currently administering by every single metric are extraordinarily safe. And we know that thanks in part to Israel, who have been administering millions of them and who have the data to sort of see, you know, how people how people tolerate those vaccines. And by and large, the vast, vast majority of people who receive these vaccines do very, very well and are protected from COVID-19. But there's always the chance that there might be a specific ailment or pre-existing condition that doesn't respond well to the vaccine. It's possible that certain populations shouldn't get a certain vaccine for whatever reason. And this is the exact reason why you want a good IT system to manage all of this. Mm-hmm. We've seen the debate around AstraZeneca, right? We know that there is at least some correlation between blood clots and the AstraZeneca vaccine. We still don't know if there's a causal link there. And unfortunately, Canada has largely had to rely on other countries and their own data collection standards right? because we can't do it ourselves. So we're sort of at the mercy of what data Norway is getting and what the UK is seeing and what France and Israel and so on and so forth are seeing when they administer the vaccine. Now, in an ideal world, we'd be able to do that here at home. But our adverse reaction reporting system is dumb, it's slow, and it's not even remotely complete. It is run out of the Public Health Agency of Canada, and it largely falls on doctors and hospitals to report those adverse reaction reports into the federal government. Now, up until last year, more or less, that was running on fax. (laughs) Wait, like fax machine? Like fax machines. I thought that was an app. Yeah, well, as of today, it's not much better to be totally honest, but as of today, these reports are often being sent in via an emailed PDF. So if somebody has a bad reaction to a vaccine, well, a doctor or a nurse or whoever has to fill out this form, scan it or you know, do it digitally, and then email it into a public health agency of Canada account so someone can open it and then enter it into their proprietary system. Right. This is not an efficient way of managing anything. Right. And I'm told that in some cases, these reports are not even sent in more than once a week. Right. There, there's no urgency here. There doesn't seem to be any particular need to do this quickly or efficiently. And this is how this is how the, our country functions. This is how our health infrastructure works. It's a lot of emailing forms or, you know, seeing people copy and paste things from one document to another people manually entering, you know, alphanumeric, 20-digit alphanumeric codes. It's people, you know, in some cases, in parts of this country, when a vaccine is administered, someone's taking down your information by hand so that someone else can enter it into the system later on. Yikes. You know, when somebody books their appointment in Ontario through COVAX on, even though COVAX on is connected to the provincial health system, It'll, it'll take your information when you book the appointment, but it won't actually report it over when you arrive. So someone has to enter it in all over again for really no particular reason. When you get a vaccine at a, at a pharmacy in Ontario, they have to enter all your information into two different databases because they don't speak to each other. You know, These are little things. I know it sounds quite minor, but these things add up. This fundamentally constrains our ability to administer doses quickly. It constrains our ability to get doses out across the country quickly. It limits our ability to monitor the efficacy of how Mm -hmm. these vaccines are working. 
And it really stunts our ability to actually analyze what immunity looks like across the country. We don't really have a good picture of what percentage of which community is immune or where doses are needed quicker. We are basically running blind here, and it's really frustrating to watch. Now that everybody listening um, is absolutely furious at the government, lastly, I just want to ask you, you know, I'm not looking for, at least not immediately, for Israel-level, you know, best-in-class here, but what would beginning down the road to a functional national health technology program look like? Like, where are the first easy wins and how do we get them? Well, it's it's just quite sad, but it actually requires us to follow through on what we promised to do in 2003, right? Develop one national health information system. And I realize that this country is allergic to the idea of, you know, the provinces and the federal government doing the same thing and singing from the same hymn book. But unfortunately, that's what we've got to do here. Provinces can continue running their independent health systems while still cooperating on public health. There is no good reason why BC has to have its own system and Alberta has to have its own system and so on and so forth. This is core fundamental infrastructure that is required to make our entire health system work. And hiving it off into 13 or 14 or 15 different systems is just punching ourselves in the face for absolutely no reason. So we need to pick one system. Panorama is the obvious choice, but it doesn't have to be Panorama. If there's something else better out there, we should go for it. Is there anything off the shelf that is just out there that it, that another country is using that we can just buy as a complete entity? <laughs> Well, increasingly, Panorama is it. I'm told that other countries have actually bought Panorama in the last handful of years and actually like it. <laughs> of course. You know, the, the, new, the newest version of this does seem to be working pretty well. It is very frustrating that it took a decade for it to get there. But now that it's here, you know, there's, there's no point looking a gift horse in the mouth as far as I'm concerned. If it's working for Nova Scotia and it's working for, for Indigenous Services Canada, who also uses it, then we should just adopt it. Or again, there's something better, we should use that instead. But if Ontario would finally get rid of its sort of customized but very antiquated system, and if Vancouver, you know, Coastal Health would finally get rid of its proprietary thing, and we could all just get on board with the same type of technology, I think it would really benefit everybody immensely. And this new system, it is capable of scanning barcodes. It is capable of populating this, this electronic registry. It's capable of automatically reporting information into a central repository. It's capable of hosting all of this stuff on the cloud so that any pharmacy or clinic could use it. You know, there is a lot of good things about this system, but it's going to require everybody use it. Now, I've seen some promising signs that at the very least, there seems to be some interest in getting there, but it's so inadequate. The Public Health Agency of Canada, I'm told, is finally going to install Panorama sometime this month, which frankly is 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 way past due, but I'm glad it's finally happening. But it's going to require that Public Health Agency of Canada takes a leadership role on this and actually spearheads it and keeps the system up to date, keeps the provinces on board, you know, enables all the critical components that make the sort of automatic reporting the default, you know enables the the pieces of the system that gives it a national view 
of the entire country. Because if we don't do that, then at a certain point, why are we a country Hmm. if not to protect the public health of everybody? You know, this is the point of federalism is to do the things together that have to be done together. This this totally, you know, self-harming commitment to provincial autonomy is in this context actively dangerous. And I don't know how many more reports have to get written before the premiers finally realize this. But if we come out of this pandemic and continue to try and and run our proprietary little systems out of just some childish need to keep your toys to yourself, well, I I, I, I give up. I give up on the country because it, it doesn't make sense anymore for us to keep doing this. And it's going to mean we're going to be ill-equipped, ill-prepared, and, and fundamentally screwed over when the next pandemic arrives. Justin, thank you so much for uh, for explaining things I wish I didn't know because now I feel much worse about the whole thing. But um, thank you for bringing this to light. I, I truly didn't understand just just how easily we could have avoided a lot of this. Well, thanks for having me. Justin Ling for McLean's. That was The Big Story. For more from us, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Find us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. Email us anytime, thebigstorypodcast, all one word, all lowercase, at rci.rogers.com. And of course, in your favorite podcast player, you will find us. We would love a rating or a review, especially if it's good. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.